Psalm 116. And as I was thinking about this message and I was driving over here, I was thinking about all of the lights that are out. And when you, when you see a house, doesn't that say, oh, that must be a happy house? Because they're all full of lights. Little do we know how many broken hearts and spirits and people are be behind those lights. So, <clears throat> Psalm 116, I want to read, starting in verse 1. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy, because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful. This God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Go ahead and have a seat. Paul Harvey, who was an editorialist, he used to write for the newspaper, he tells a story of a lady who went to a newspaper to report the death of her husband. And she took four pages front and back to the obituary counter. And when the news clerk saw it, he said, ma'am, you need to know that it costs 50 cents a word to put all this in the paper. So she was like, whoa, 50 cents a word. So she went back to the counter and she rewrote it. And now it said, Sam Brown dies. And the clerk said, uh, I'm sorry, ma'am, but there's a seven-word minimum. So here the widow is, oh, my gosh. So she has to go back to the counter, and she rewrote, and she starts counting. And so she wrote, Sam Brown dies, 88 Ford for sale. Now, I wanted to bring that kind of lighthearted story to begin this message on grief for two reasons. Number one, we really do need to understand that realistically, grief doesn't go away that quickly. And number two, this is a heavy topic. For some of you, it may reopen some wounds that are just beginning to heal. And for some of you, it may be a little difficult to handle. But the reason that I'm sharing on grief tonight is because it's something that we need to learn how to balance in our life. Somewhere between the humorous quick fix of the widow and the person who lives for years not bringing themselves to go on with their life, there is a balance of emotion that God desires for every single one of us. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says there is a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. Now, the author of Psalm 116 went through the process of grief. If you read that psalm, you, were, you will be able to see that they only went through grief, and then they found comfort at the end of that psalm. And my prayer is that you would use this psalm 
as a sort of a grief measurement to find out where you're at in your life. I hope that this is going to be able to help you to and bring some comfort, not only for you, but maybe friends or loved ones that you know who might be going through grief. So let's go through the reasons for grief. Grief is the definition is an involuntary emotion you experience when you lose something or someone that is valuable to you. It's an involuntary emotion. It's not something that you want, something that you didn't say, this is what I desire. It's involuntary. It just hits you. But it's an emotion when you lose something or someone that is valuable to you. So this tells us that grieving is not a sin. It is not wrong to express grief. In fact, it's very natural. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who experienced loss, wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, we do not want you to grieve like other people who have no hope. He doesn't say don't grieve, but in your grief, remember that you have hope in God. In my funeral messages, for someone who has died as a Christian, I often tell the ones the loved ones that are close to them, I, I tell them grief is an honorable emotion because grief says, I really loved that person. You have to grieve. But you need to understand what you're grieving for. You're not grieving for the person who is gone. You're grieving for yourself who no longer has that person in their life. So when you go through grief, remember what it is. It's not that person. Because as a Christian, they're rejoicing, they're dancing, they're throwing party. And the grief that you're experiencing is your loss and what you're feeling. So it's important that we understand at the very beginning that grief is an involuntary emotion that we all experience when we lose something or someone. Most commentators describe Psalm 116 as the psalm of grief. So it was either they were experiencing it or they just got through it. In verse 3, it says, The danger of death was all around me. The horrors of the grave closed in on me, and I was filled with grief and fear. And then in verse 10, the psalmist says, I am completely crushed. That's a man who knew about grief. We don't know specifically what he was mourning. But I do want to tell you today that grief comes in a lot of different ways. Now, the most common that we all experience is the death of a loved one. And I believe in reading this psalm that this is where the psalmist was grieving. He was grieving the death of a loved one. Because in verse 15 of Psalm 116, it says, How painful it is when one of the Lord's people die. So the death of a loved one, especially if they are young, or if the death was sudden, that's the hardest kind of grief. But I want to tell you, it's not the only kind of grief. Because, you know, the loss of possessions can cause grief. Just ask those who have lost money in stock market. Ask those who have lost their life savings. It's an existence that they had, and now it's gone. Ask someone who has had their home broken into or their car broken into and stuff stolen from them. They go through grief. 
How many people have gone through grief and you don't even know it if you've lost your home or you've had to file bankruptcy or you've had to move because you had no choice. They raised the rent. There's grief. Then the loss of health can cause grief. The person that you were, all of a sudden you get a disease in your body and you can't do what you used to do. You can't walk the way you used to walk. You don't have the stamina anymore to shop like you used to shop. You can't drive. Your eyes are going bad. You have to depend on someone else. You can't turn things like you used to because your hands don't have enough strength. All of those things can cause grief in a person's life because you lose your health. Soldiers that have lost a limb or athletes who lose their careers due to an injury, grieve. Some commentators feel that when the psalmist said in verse 3 that the danger was of death was all around me, that maybe he was referring to his health. Because when health problems come, they cause grief. And it's not uncommon for a person who is going through health problems from one day to the next. Maybe you were in an accident. Maybe, you know, something happened. They not only have health problems, but when you grieve, don't, don't think that you're not going to experience health problems because when you're grieving, you could experience insomnia. You could have exhaustion. You could have headaches. You could have anxiety. You could have depression. All of those things of grief bring health problems also. Grief can also come from a loss of position. Maybe you had a position and then you get fired. Or maybe you didn't get the promotion that you were counting on. I mean, you were praying, fasting, believing, and somebody else gets it. You can go into grief. Grief comes from a loss of a relationship. Maybe you had a close relationship and somehow you got divorced. Or maybe you had a falling out with a family member and you're no longer close. Or maybe your best friend talked about you and now you're no longer trusting them. That's grief. And you're wondering why you're experiencing all this stuff that's going on. You're grieving the loss of companionship, the loss of partnership. Sometimes a relationship can really change you. You know that one of the things I learned, and this was really interesting for me, is that men and women who go into a rehab home, they grieve their former life. I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog world, but yet they grieve it. They grieve that hustle. They grieve that going out there because that was their lifestyle for so long and then all of a sudden it's lost. Why do you think men and women who have done time in prison and they've been there for years and they come out, they don't know how to function so they do something just to get thrown back in jail so that they could continue to live because they grieve and they don't know how to handle that grief. See, there's a lot of you that have been grieving and you didn't have a clue that you were grieving. The clearest example of someone 
who was in grief was Job. Job was an upright, righteous man of God, but he went through such a tragic series of losses that I don't think anybody, it's what I would call unparalleled in history. Because this is what happened to him. In Job 1, just listen. It says, one day when Job's children were having a feast at the home of their oldest brother, a messenger came running to Job. We were plowing the fields with the oxen, he said, and the donkeys were in a nearby pasture. Suddenly, the Sabaeans attacked and stole them all. They killed every one of your servants except me. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Before he had even finished speaking, another servant came and said, Lightning struck the sheep and all the shepherds and killed them all. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Before he finished speaking, another servant came and said, Three bands of Chaldean raiders attacked us, took away all your camels, and killed all your servants except me. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Before he finished speaking, another servant came and said, Your children were having a feast at the home of your oldest son when a storm swept into the home and blew the house down and killed all of them. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Then Job got up and tore his clothes in grief. That's just Job chapter 1. How much grief can one person take? He lost almost everything he had in just minutes. I mean, it was like one servant saying one thing, and before they finish, then somebody else comes, and somebody else comes, and somebody else. He lost everything. He tells us that Job owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 head of cattle, and 500 donkeys. Somebody calculated it according to how much it would have been worth today, just his animals. 1.8 million. And he didn't have insurance either. He lost his servants. Some of those servants were part of his family. They were good friends. But more importantly, he lost all 10 of his children in one accident. On top of all of that, in chapter 3, we see that Job loses his health. His body is covered with boils. I don't know how many of you have ever had a boil. It is the deepest pimple underneath. And it's underneath your skin to the point where it pops out. And he had them all over his face and body. Some of you can't even stand to touch your pimple. Imagine it being a boil. He lost his position because the Bible says that his wife and friends told him that this was all probably because he had committed a sin. In chapter 2, verse 9, his wife lashes out at him and says, you're still as faithful as ever, aren't you? Why don't you curse God and die? Now, I remember for many, many years, I always thought, man, if a man had a wife like that, you might as well just die. Because, man, the wife is like, she's on you too. But, you know, 
when I read this through grieving eyes and a grieving heart, I began to understand she was hurting too. She had just suffered the same losses as Job. She had 10 children, and now she had an empty nest. She had a healthy husband, and now here she was nursing him. What grief they both endured, and for all the same reasons that we experience it. It's an involuntary emotion. We didn't ask for it. It just comes. So how do we respond to this grief? There's a whole lot of ways and reasons that we do suffer grief, but let's figure out how we're supposed to respond to it. First, for those of you who are grieving, understand that there are things that you will go through as you grieve. Mental health professionals talk about grief as a journey, and that really is the best way to describe grief because a journey has a lot of twists and turns. A journey is never really straight. It's like up and down and in and out and over and over the hill and through the woods. But it's important to understand that the grieving process is just not one neat daily thing. It, it twists and it turns. A person may skip a stage, go on to the next stage, only to go back to that stage, so it's like one day they're good, next day they're not. Some of you who have ever had grief, you're like, man, I feel great today. And then the next day, man, I'm all messed up. Or you have a loved one, and they're laughing one day, and then the next minute they're crying. You're like, what's up with you? That's grief. And there are five stages to grief, and they don't all come in order. And there is a time when you go through one stage, and then you go to the next, and then you go back to the one you just experienced, but they're all the stages of grief. The first one, not in order, is panic or shock. You're stunned when you find out that someone you love is no longer here. And you begin to yell at them, don't do this to me, don't tell me this, I, it's not true. And <coughs> you don't know how to react, because everything seems so unreal. And then you go through the denial, where this isn't really happening. I know I'm going to wake up, and it's all a dream. I know I'm going to go to sleep, and when I wake up, they're going to be there next to me. Or I know they just went on a trip. They just went to the store. They'll be back. They'll be back. And you're waiting at the door, waiting for them to come back. And they don't. Then there's anger. We get mad at people. We get mad at God. We get mad at the person who died. We get mad at them and say, this isn't fair. How many times have you heard people say, what kind of God would take a father with four little kids? How could they die? They were such a good person. They were so young. I remember two months after my husband died, there was a funeral that I was asked to do. <coughs> and because they asked me to do a funeral, I got mad at my husband. Because he left me no experience on how to do a funeral. He knew how to do funerals so well. That was like his expertise. He loved doing funerals. As much as he loved doing funerals, that's as much as I hated going to funerals. But I was mad at him through the whole funeral because he never showed me how to do a funeral. And it could happen at any time. 
different triggers come into our life. Sometimes it's, you know, for Thanksgiving, that person that always made the, the stuffing, they weren't there, so you're mad at them because they weren't there. Or the plumbing goes out, or the kids are acting up, or the car breaks down, and all of these things that that person would fix or that person would take care of or, or the bank account, and you get mad at them and you get mad at God. But those are all normal reactions in grief. Then there's depression. That experience of sorrow that just drags on and drags on. One day you're restless, the next day you don't care about anything, you don't want to get out of bed, you don't want to take a shower, you don't even want to brush your teeth, you don't want to do nothing. Then the next day you're, you're all lonely, and then the next day you're all happy. Because that's what depression does, it just takes you up and down and up and down. And then you start planning for the anniversaries for the first year, the first Thanksgiving, the first Christmas, the first birthday, and those are all of the things that you're going through. And then you think, okay, well, now it's the second one, and now it's going to be easier. And it's not. It's just as hard as the first. Then there's that final stage of acceptance, and you return back to life. And I, I really do want to tell you that the grieving journey is long and it's slow. And sometimes those of you who are parents, you need to recognize grief in children because they act out differently than in adults, especially if the person that is no longer here was close to them. Mother, father, aunt, uncle, grandmother, grandfather. Sometimes the way they go through grief is just so different and sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own stuff that we don't even recognize that the kids are going through grief also. You need to go through these unpredictable stages of your journey. So what do we do with those who are grieving? Because we all know someone who's grieving. How do we help them? There's a few things that I want to ask you to do, and then ask you things not to do. There was a, a survey that was done for those who, have, who are going through the grieving process, and they came up with some do's and don'ts. First thing you don't do is you don't avoid the person who is mourning. Sometimes we worry about, well, I don't know what to say. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I feel awkward. The worst thing that we can do when someone is grieving is do nothing. That's the worst thing that we can do. The second thing is don't think you have to say the right thing. That's like putting all the focus on you. You're thinking, I, I got to say the right thing. I, 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 I don't want to mess up. It's not about you. It's about them. Sometimes the people who help the most are the ones who are just there just there, sitting next to them, close by them, just listening. There's a poem that I found, and it reads like this. When trouble comes, your soul to try, you love the friend who just stands by. It helps somehow to pull you through, although there's nothing they can do. But just to have a friend whose sympathy endures until the end, gives the heart a fervent cry, God bless, God bless the friend who just stands by. 
If you don't know what to do, just stand there. Just sit there. Just listen. But just be there. Don't avoid. Don't say, oh, I don't want to go over. I don't want to be part. No, you need to be there. Number three, don't treat the survivor differently. Let's just say it was a couple. Don't treat the one that is still living differently. Because if you would have invited that, whole, that couple out to dinner, invite the widow or the widower. Don't say, well, it's going to be awkward. Well, it's going to be awkward anyway for them and for you, but you got to get over that because life goes on. And the widow or the widower has to get used to being the third wheel, and you have to get used to having a third wheel because it's just life. Number four, understand that the grieving process takes a long time. Sometimes we expect people to just get over it already. I mean, you're still grieving? I mean, it's, only, it's already been like, what, nine months? You should be over it already. It's been two years. You should be over it. Every grieving period journey is different. Some people get through their journey quicker than others. They get through it in a year. Some people get through it in five years. Some it takes 10 years. Don't judge somebody else's grief journey by yours. You may just be blessed to just go through it. And some others are not as blessed as you. It took me, I mean, it's been a little over 10 years, going on 10 and a half years, and it's taken me pretty much all of my 10 years to get through it. Now, not everybody knew that. I knew it, but not everybody else. For some others, you know, they get married in a year or two. God bless them. I am not going to push my stuff on them and say, it's been 10 years for me. Why didn't they wait? No, that's, that's their journey. My journey's different. So don't judge someone else's journey by your own because it's different. Fifth, don't expect, don't think it's necessary to bring up every time you see them. How are you doing? How, how are you really doing? It's not necessary. Don't push. Expect their emotions to fluctuate. Sometimes they're not always going to feel good. Sometimes they are going to feel good. Let them be happy. Let them be sad. Everybody has their moments. I, I thoroughly appreciate all of those people who I went out to lunch with, and I cried through the whole lunch. And they just sat there, totally uncomfortable, but they still sat there and let me cry. And then we finished up, and we moved on. Because that's all I could do. And for many of you, you're going to leak at the wrong time, too. You're going to leak when you're driving. You're going to leak at a party. You're going to leak at work. You're going to leak on the bus. You're going to leak on BART. You're doing something, and all of a sudden, a song will come on, or, or, somebody, or you'll overhear somebody say something, and all of a sudden, it just triggers, and you just start crying. Everybody leaks. That's life. Be willing to reminisce with the one who has lost someone. Sometimes people think, oh, I don't want to say nothing. No. People who no longer have that person in their life want to talk about that person. I, I thoroughly appreciate 
the people who would come up and tell me, you know, I remember Pastor Steve, him and I did this, or man, Pastor Steve pro spoke this message, or, you know, I, I mean, I just like, I get thrilled. I really do. I want to talk about him. And you want to talk about your loved one. Find someone that you can talk to about your loved one. And don't think that you shouldn't bring them up. Because it's important that you bring them up. Man, your mom made the best apple pie. Man, your dad, he was the best at this. And man, doesn't it make you feel good? Because somebody else appreciates the one that you loved. Number eight, do be personal in your remembrance. Just be personal. Talk about their faith. Talk about their love. And then keep your sense of humor. It's important. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart does good like medicine. Don't be superficial, but be happy. Don't, don't tiptoe around the person who is grieving. Be yourself. It is so weird when you're grieving and people are around you and you just know that they're tiptoeing or you know that they're not saying certain things. Be yourself. And you may say the wrong thing. Oh, well, nobody's perfect. But be yourself. There's a story of <coughs> um, Vance Havner, who was a famous preacher. He told the story of when someone would come up to him after the death of his wife, and he would say, I'm so sorry you lost your wife. And he would smile and say, well, don't be. After all, Something's not lost if you know its location, and I know right where to find her. That's exactly true. Proverbs 14, 13 says, Laughter can conceal a heavy heart, and when the laughter ends, the grief remains, and that's also true. So even though we should keep a sense of humor, don't think that the grieving person laughing means that grief is over. It just means there are spurts of joy in their life. Remember the time that you are needed is not right when it happens. Everybody's there when it happens. I mean, when someone dies, the house is filled and people come bring food. And, and then after the funeral, everybody begins to dwindle away. You can be there from the start, but six to eight weeks or six months later, when everybody else is gone, that's when you're needed the most. So realize that there is help with grief. There's a lot of things that promote the healing of grief. First of all, there's help from God. And it's important for those of you who are going through grief that you understand that the Lord has some incredible resources for you to heal. The, the psalmist says this in verse 5. He, the Bible says that God promises compassion. He says in verse 5, our God is compassionate. Understand something. You are not going through your grief alone. You are not alone in your grief. Jesus knows how you feel because he's been exactly where you are. Now, some of you may say, well, what, how would he understand my grief? How would he even know? If you read the sixth chapter of John, and at some point in time you should, there is a story of John the Baptist's murder. He was Jesus' cousin. He was Jesus' friend. He was Jesus' co-worker. And do you know what the Bible says that Jesus wanted to do when he heard the news about John? 
The Bible says that he wanted to get away from people. He wanted to be by himself. He wanted space to grieve. That's why Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So he knows exactly how you feel, and he gives compassion. Secondly, God offers and promises protection. In verse 6 of Psalm 116, he says, The Lord protects the helpless. When I was in danger, he saved me. You need to allow the loss, whatever it is. Those of you who are in grief, you have an opportunity like never before to have a deeper relationship with God. My relationship with the Lord changed when my husband went home. Totally changed. I began to feel God in a greater capacity. I began to understand his protection and his compassion. I knew that I could depend on him. He was now my husband, and I would be able to cry out to him. And for those of you who are in grief, you need to cry out to God. You need to be able to know that he's there for you, protecting you, holding you, having compassion for you. Hebrews 13, 4 says, God assures us, I and I love this in the message, I will never let you down, never walk off, and never leave you. For those of you who have ever experienced being let down, people walking out of your life, people leaving you, that's Jesus' promise. He will never let you down, never walk off and leave you. And then thirdly, he promises deliverance. In verse 8, it says, the Lord saved me from death. He stopped my tears and kept me from defeat. Yes, it's going to take time to make process through the, progress through the journey, but God is with you every step of the process, and he will deliver you. You will have to experience the steps of grief, but you don't have to experience total defeat. Because when a Christian experiences grief, we need to remember that we have hope. That's the scripture I opened up with. We have hope. Something better is coming. This is not the end. We have a future. We have a hope. We have a calling. In 1 Peter 1.6, talking about our reward, it says, In this you greatly rejoice the knowledge of heaven, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial." Understand that grief, no matter how hard it is, and for some of you who are going through grief, it is the most difficult thing you've ever gone through. But it's still temporary. You will get through it. You really will. There's going to be a time when there's not going to be any more sorrow and no more death. <laughs> I can hardly wait. In Ripley's Believe It or Not, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, there's a lot of famous tombstones with unique epitaphs. Epitaphs are the words that are written on the tombstone. And there is one from Watumka, Alabama, who obviously believed in someplace better. This is what it says on his epitaph. Here lies Solomon Pease, P-E-A-S, Pease. Here lies Solomon Pease. Pease is not here, only the pod. Peas shelled out and went home to God. And that's funny. 
But it's not really far from what Jesus said when he said, those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and will never perish. In other words, those who have a relationship with Jesus will be able to shed this pod. How many of you will be glad to shed this pod and go to God? So I want you to remember that above all, Jesus loves you and he wants to help you and he promises you heaven. So not only are we promised help from God, not only are we given promises, but he offers so many other things like people. There's a lot of resources and books to read. I, I have a lot of books and a bibliography of grief books that I not only read, but I encourage others to buy. One of them is a, called Grief Share, which is a daily journal that you can either get online or you can actually buy the book. And then there's the tape, the empty chair that I also have right outside. There's a story in the late 1800s of a man named Horatio Spafford. And some of you have already heard this, but this is like even going deeper than what we usually hear. He was a Christian lawyer from Chicago, and he experienced the death of his infant son. Within weeks of this loss, then came the infamous Chicago Fire of 1871, which destroyed all of his real estate holdings that he had, leaving him bankrupt. So in 1873, with the help of a friend, Spafford planned a trip to Europe just to get away. He had lost his infant son. He lost his whole life savings, his, his career, everything. And he wanted to get away. So he put his wife and his four daughters on a cruise ship to go to France. He was going to join them in a week after he took care of some business. But on November 21st, the ship that his family, his wife and four daughters was on, collided with another vessel. And within 12 minutes, their ship sank. And it was a lot of confusion after the collision, and all four of the daughters were swept away from the mom. She was knocked unconscious, but somehow she got rescued by one of the survivors. Back in Chicago, Horatio heard of the accident, and he waited anxiously for the news about his family. Finally, 10 days later, a telegram came to the home from his wife. She was in the hospital in Europe, and the telegram contained just two words, saved, alone. He knew that he had now lost all four of his girls. He was devastated. He began to shake uncontrollably, and he was comforted by a friend and neighbor, Major Whittle. And with Major Whittle's help, he financed him to take a ship to France to meet his wife and to bring her home. And when he was on the journey, he asked the captain to wake him up in the middle of the night when they came to the approximate location of the accident. So in the middle of the night, the captain went over and he woke up Horatio Spafford. And as he got up and he looked down into those cold, dark waters which had taken his four little girls, he wept loudly and uncontrollably. And then he went to his cabin. 
And he wrote the words that have become one of our most famous hymns. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The only way that Horatio Spafford could hold on to his faith in the midst of all of the things that had happened to him in his grief, all he could do was put his absolute faith in Jesus. And that's the only way that we'll be able to hold up through any grief that comes our way. I want you to get to the point where you understand grief and you begin to trust him. And then you'll learn like the psalmist that God listens and he helps. And then you can say, as the psalmist did in verse 7, be confident, my heart, because the Lord has been good to me. And no matter what, it is well with my soul. Bow your head with me tonight. I don't know where you're at tonight, and I don't know what you're experiencing. Sometimes we're in grief through a lot of things, whether it be health, whether it be relationships, whether it be a death of a loved one, our job, our home, our possessions. There's a lot of things that we have to grieve. And this may be a totally different type of altar call, but I'm not going to ask you what you're grieving. If you are grieving anything tonight, your health, your loved one, your home, your possessions, your position, whatever it is, I don't know what it is. Can you just stand right where you're at? Just stand. something else I want every eye opened and I want you to find someone who's in grief and I just want you to give them a hug just give them a hug find somebody who's in grief give them a good hug just let them know they're not alone Okay, just keep on hugging. It's all good. Sometimes we don't know what a hug can do. It can change our whole world. It can give us hope again. And I just want, to, want us to be sensitive this season to the people who just need a hug. 
They just need to know that they're not in this alone. If you know someone who's in grief, don't look for the right words. Just give them a hug. That says a thousand words. So I pray that this holiday season and every day of the year, make it a point to go up, find someone who's in grief, look for them, and then just say, I just wanted to give you a hug. Because a hug says, you're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs>